broadcasting live from the Winthrop House. You're now listening to the Safe Negro Podcast Show. Welcome back, guests of the Winthrop House. You are back with a new and improved episode of the Safe Negro Podcast Show. This is one of your hosts, Tatiana King, a.k.a. Hippolyta Up. Also joined by my lovely co-host. DJ Ben Amin, a.k.a. Blogoff. Blogoff, <laughs> okay. We are also joined by the legendary... Portia Patterson-Hurst, a.k.a. the impenetrable Portia for this episode. Ah, very good. And as usual, we are here to talk HBO's Lovecraft Country, this time episode eight, titled Jigabobo. It has been directed by Misha Green, which is a phenomenal love, Misha, and written by both Misha Green and in her TV writing debut, Iohoma Ophidir. Um, congrats to you on your TV writing debut and also congrats for being an HBCU grad, North Carolina A&T Aggie and also Nigerian American. I know Nigeria just celebrated Independence Day recently. So big ups to y'all. Did you, did you do the book? All right. Um, guns in the air. Absolutely. I, I, oh, no, it's no. definitely Jamaican, but whatever. It's still applicable. You could do that. You could do this. It's the, nice for it. All of know. us put guns in the air. Let's we keep all, it real. <laughs> if you're a big, if you're a big shug, your gun makes different sounds than other people's guns do. Facts. All right, getting into this episode. Like I big said, shug. episode eight, titled Jigabobo. The trigger warnings here are racial slurs, racist depictions of black people, gore and blood, as usual, and also a triggering death. Involving Christina Braithwaite. Now, horribly. I mean, and we'll get into the significance of that as well. Um, The basic plot here is it's a nightmare on my street as Diana has to deal with demons haunting her days and night. Beyond beyond the loss of her friend, it's jigga what, jigga boo time for D, and no one wants to listen to the lost little black girl. Meanwhile, is this Lovecraft Country or missed opportunities as no one wants to communicate, led, leading Leticus both to seek magic spells of protection and more? Ruby gets deeper into magical debt with Will Stina, which might lead to doom and gloom for all. And we are left with one hell of a cliffhanger as we head into our final two episodes. Um, that's huge because, yes, I just cannot believe we're barreling towards the end of this season. Um, and it could be the end of the series for all we know. Um, Ben, I really appreciate, uh, your, your injection of Will Stina. That's Christina and William. That's thank you very much. Excellent. And of mm-hmm. course, Leticus that you coined the, the Atticus Letty relationship. That's a ship mm-hmm. name for them, if you will. Yep. Excellent. And we will get right into the themes of the show. So as we mentioned, the episode title is called Jigabobo, which it, it references a few things. It's, it's actually a play off the term Jigaboo which is a slur and is used as a very insulting and contemptuous term for, term for a black person. Um, and it, th- that, that term jig a boo, that boo part is from the word 
bugaboo. And a bugaboo is also known as something that frightens a child. It could be an object of terror. And you see that throughout this episode uh, with the introduction of this demon that we're going to get into. Um, uh, first of all, I just wanted to just make the point of, of that jigaboo, jigabobo thing. The, the other reference is Bobo, which as we found out earlier is the childhood name of Emmett Till. And then to marry those two together was, of course, incredibly triggering. And then to have to, in this episode, you actually see um, the, we all, we talked about that before. Are we going to see the death of Emmett now that we know he was in the, he's in the series? Are we going to see the after effects of, of his funeral and all that stuff? And we do see quite a lot of it. Um, Portia, I know you had another comment about the term. Yeah, um, I just, whenever I saw that Jigaboo was somewhere like in the like terminology, it automatically word association for me was um, Good or Bad Hair, the song from School Days, um, mm-hmm. Spike Lee's joint, where he like, you know, they're going back and forth talking about like being dark skinned and versus light skinned and what's good hair versus bad hair. Um, not that necessarily good hair only is attributed to light skinned women, like mm-hmm. darker skinned women get good, ha- good uh, quote unquote hair as well too. Um, mm-hmm. But it just like, it took me to literally that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, also it kind of reminded me of as Ben put it in the um, description there, uh, Jigga, like from like Jay-Z's old like Jigga Monica Jigga there. Who? Yeah, like I can't. <laughs> like I've, I never rode with him whenever he was going through that phase. It's the, it probably kind of put me off of Jay-Z to be real. Like I never wow. really cared for I, Jay-Z I never like that. I made that connection, but me thank either. you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Much, and yeah. No, that's so good because I, you know, grew up with like hip hop in the 90s when the idea of, and just like you said, Portia, with the whole school days reference, I remember when I first saw School Days, I didn't get that. That went completely over my head because I was so little, you know, and I didn't understand that light skin and dark skin black people had this whole, you know, issue colorism. within it. Yeah, colorism and everything. And so I grew up with the 90s rap when everybody was talking about Jigaboos and little Sambos and all this stuff. So I always grew up with that. But when he switched to Jigga, I never made that connection. So that is amazing. I wow. Okay, so that makes me look at that whole situation differently. Um uh as I mentioned, you know, the 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 play off the the slur and the terms used. Um, I mentioned that that word bugaboo, which is something to frighten, uh something of fear. Um and you know, as we see that this well, it's actually two of them, this demon that chases Diana all throughout the episode, no one else can see it. The demon is actually um we believe is Topsy. Topsy is a character from the very racist book, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Um, and because you see two of them, there's actually, they actually have names. They're called Topsy and Bopsy. Um, Topsy is played by Kaylin Harris, uh, a well-known dancer. And, and as is Bopsy, uh, she's played by Bianca Bruton, who's also a dancer. Um, and also just mentioning the, the aspect of fear, um, something that frightens children and, and just, just, being scared of, of different aspects of life. Um, when you think about it, as mentioned, it's called Jigabobo. Bobo was Emmett. The specter of like Emmett's murder, it haunts everyone in this episode and haunts everyone in real life in various ways. Um, and also th- that plays into fears. It uh, When you think about Letty and the fact that she's pregnant, it, it plays into her potential fears about bringing a black child into this world. Um, 
it plays into or not plays into but but intensifies the fears that everyone has and and the the ongoing trauma that black people have in America and how even in childhood you're not protected from any of that you're not protected from the violence you're not protected from 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 any of the the things that you sh- you, sh- you should probably never have to experience in your life mm. um, and even Montrose yeah. talks about that when he you know, at the intro when they're like, Diana shouldn't have come to this because we find out also that Hippolyta still has not returned from her journey in last yeah. episode. And that's something we didn't bring up because I saw that a lot of stuff on Twitter. And I thought that Hippolyta was straight up going home. You know, she that's says, I and how I just can thought- I fit all this big into that? And But yeah. Diana needs me. Yeah. And come to find out, and I thought it was Attica. I was trying to blame Attica. I'm like, well, that oh, God damn. and that's why she couldn't get come back. <laughs> like she wanted to come back, but but Waterhead Atticus messed it up. But, oh. but I feel like we haven't seen the last of Hippolyta. No, 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 no. Yeah, just like we didn't see the last of George. Like I said, we've seen the last of George though. <laughs> that's it for him. <laughs> that's it. Done. Trash. Well we, well, we got to see him again. Whatever. Yeah, and and we learned he was trash. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't already know that. But he's not the last George that that's going to be around. He's just Ooh. the last that we'll see of Ooh. that particular George, right? Mm. Yes, and we're definitely going to get into that in the themes. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we're dealing a lot with fear and whether real or perceived feeds into the next big, big, hugest overall theme of this episode, which is Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. let Ben Amin take this over because he is the Nightmare on Elm Street expert here. And yes. he could break it all down for you, how it all fits in with this episode of Lovecraft Country. Yeah, and this is something I've been anticipating pretty much since the beginning because there's this quote that I want to read from Misha Green. She said this early on where she said, you'll see we use Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger to tell what it's like to be a young black girl in America. So I've been pretty much anticipating this episode since then and also haven't read the book, the whole Horace chapter and the demon doll and all of that. So I knew this would be big, and they delivered, you know, pretty much on every aspect. But the ways in which it really references Nightmare on Elm Street goes back to, like, the original idea of Nightmare on Elm Street, which is Freddy Krueger is this killer who comes back to life to haunt the dreams of the children who uh, the parents of Freddy Krueger killed him earlier because he was a child molester who got off. You know, the system didn't kill him, so the parents banded together, murdered him, burned him up, and then he comes back years later. And because, once again, as we talk about in this show, because the parents don't tell their kids this, when he starts coming back to killing them, no one believes the kids, especially uh, Nancy Thompson, who is the lead who survives throughout these films. She's in the first film, mm. and she never gets believed, you know? And that's just like Dee, who is running around trying to tell all the adults that she's being chased by these creatures. And no one listens to her. One, they can't understand her because of the curse that the Lancaster chief put on her. But two, it's also just the idea of black girls being ignored in America and always having to face all these terrors and problems and no one ever listening to them. No one ever saying, yes, this is what black women, black, especially young black girls like we talked about before, the idea that they're over-sexualized, that they're brought into this world so ahead of their time where they don't, you know, they can't even be a little girl. And so Dee has to go through this magnified. You know, she is being chased by these monsters who extend their claws, just like Freddy Krueger, who 
do these dances and this like comedy routine as they're chasing her down, making it into this whole playful, jokey thing, which is something mm-hmm. that the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, series, pretty much as far as I know in horror, originated it. Like in the 80s, you had Jason, uh, Michael Myers, and Freddy Krueger. And Freddy Krueger was the only one of them to really talk and the only one of them. He just made jokes. And he always twisted what you loved into what killed you. So, like, we see D early on looking at these two little girls and being mad that they're still innocent out there eating their vanilla ice cream, just having mm-hmm. the brightest day, you know, a beautiful day out, just chilling, having a great day, laughing. And so D throws rocks at them and stares them off. And then she gets chased by two little girls who resemble nightmare versions of the two little girls who she chased off. Yeah. So you see all these references to Freddy Krueger, to Nightmare on Elm Street, and I just loved all of it. Yeah, and I like the the references, um, Ben. We, we talked about this before we went started recording. The dreams versus reality, mm-hmm. uh, which ties directly into the previous two episodes. We're talking about Meet Me and Daegu, where huge Wizard of Oz references, references to Judy Garland, and then mm-hmm. an I Am episode, the previous episode with Hippolyta's dreamlike journey through all her dimensions and you know even as she said that this feels real i mean if it could be a dream and she's not really sure what's going on um and like even towards the end of this episode this this jigabobo episode when montrose is holding diana thinking he's consoling her but really he's inadvertently holding her in place and 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 being and helping her be more tormented by the topsy and bopsy demons and we see her arms getting torn to shreds uh, and and the fact that no one except for Diana in the audience can see Topsy and Bopsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, everywhere Diana goes, whether it's the train station, the alleyway, the the shop, uh, the safe Negro shop, like every time they appear, like no one else even realizes that that they're around, uh, and no one understands the the plight that Diana is going through. And to your point, and to Misha Green's quote, just the fact that young black girls are constantly going through all sorts of, and constantly being haunted by different things and both indirectly and directly and having to more or less deal with it on our own. Like mm. you see that part, right? People who are supposed to be supportive or think they're being supportive are actually doing the opposite. Um, yeah. and, and, and it just reason to like, even on a broader scale, what types of horrors go are, are happening against black people that just remain unseen. That's something that I had to uh, personally realize as a black man. I realized this in a part of my growth is that everything that black men go through, black women go through, and they deal with patriarchal society on the same aspect. So when you're a black young kid, you know, a black boy, you know, you're dealing with all this. But when you're a black girl, you're also dealing with everything that comes with uh, patriarchal society. And I just want to shout out fucking Misha Green real quick because, the, the you know, as I paused the episode to find out who directed it during that last shot when Montrose is holding uh, Diana because the shot pulls in on Diana's arm so you can see the blood start coming from her arms and the claw marks. And then the shot pulls back so you can see her terror in her face and everything. Mm -hmm. And then the shot pulls back again and suddenly the Topsy girls are next to her and that's all one continuous shot. So they just, it's so smoothly done and I love continuous shots like that. I love film tricks like that. And that was just so sick how they did that to go from where they're not there to them being there all in one shot. So just pure props to Misha. And also, like you said, the other one that bugged me out was when the Topsy girl is going into the shop and she does her little dance and then looks directly at us, the audience. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like that breaking of the fourth wall. It's that idea of what's real, what's not. All these things, like we talked about that Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street, I won't say pioneered in horror, but definitely in the modern age, really brought to the forefront. So once again, man, props. Like I, I keep saying, I feel like people are just missing how these episodes and this show is really examining so many different things and flipping so many genres and bringing yeah. it black. And it's just dope, man. Yeah. And, and, even the way the the Topsy and Bopsy twins or the way they move and, and the influence of Elm, Nightmare on Elm Street, you see mm-hmm. it in all sorts of horror films down the line. That 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 idea of childlike whimsy being murderous oh, and God. being uh, just something to fear. Uh, you see it in things like Saw, the Jigsaw uh, puppet. You see it in things like Chucky, It, the clown, the way he mm-hmm. he's very... Oh, jolly, jolly, jolly! I'm going to eat you. <laughs> like, yeah. That's also just, like yeah. the Shining and those twins, like the creepy twins kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of like like the flipping of Topsy and Bobsy. They're, they're like they were writing like the little kids riding this yes. hike down the hallway, and there's these two young girls, but they're just like creepy young girls, and that's what Topsy and Bobsy do really well is be creepy, but very coordinated and like yes. very scary. Yeah, and there and- were tons of creepy coordinated stuff happening. Uh, yeah. just like the eyes moving on the cream of wheat guys mm. on the ad that was creepy <laughs> that was scary so um, creepy. the uncle tom book excuse me the uncle tom's cabin that book cover changing from an innocuous racist cover to a, a demonized racist cover like you know that shit that well first of all that was fire again the special text team have i've been putting their foot in it let's say mm-hmm. that the music changing in that scene yo and and going into the whole we, we got to talk about that song because and, and the remix of that song that kept coming up in the episode. It was like the Topsy Bopsy theme song. Like every yes. time they come up, <laughs> that's when you can expect to hear that song. It was like Topsy Bopsy coming? Yeah. yeah. And then it was just so yeah. creepy. So that song is called Stop That Knockin'. Mm. D-A-T. Knockin', which is on an album from the early Minstrel or, or it's called the Early Minstrel Show album. Mm. It was done by I, it looks like people in blackface, but um, and again, as you mentioned, it's played during that scene first when Diana, Diana's in the bathroom to get away from Montrose, and then mm-hmm. when the topsy bopsies appear throughout the episode, the let me in, let me in, and they're constantly demanding that Diana let them in. Diana let their let her horrors and her fears in, I, which is I'm, way too much for me. <laughs> I'm not sure how the minstrel knocking references, but as a child, we used to play a game that we called inward knocking and it would be mm. where you would run up to people's doors that you, you didn't know houston? oh we did this hardcore in houston okay and knock on people's doors and then run off you know during the middle of the night yeah that's that, like like ding dong ditch basically. yep pretty much ding dong ditch but you know we had okay. a much rougher name for it <laughs> it's so and it's interesting even in things like we see it in the show but even in things like childhood references like in the north, we're like ding dong ditch, but down there, y'all like you said n word knock. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but that might have been just them though, because maybe I don't that's know. just y'all, right? Maybe nah, that's just y'all. But... Pretty widespread amongst the black population in Houston, at least. You know, that was it wasn't you know, uh, it wasn't I like I came of... up with it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so, like someone else brought just... that to my attention. I was like, oh, just, okay, I'm that's what saying, we call this. Even in regional disparities, how it's still the same thing happening, right? There's still forms of Jim Crow happening in different ways, like whether it's, it's overt or covert. There's different forms of racism happening in, in different ways. It's maybe named something different. It may be named, you know, 
keep the N-words out of our neighborhood and then the other name for it's redlining. Like, and, just lots of ways to do it. And you just made me remember because I, I just realized that y'all are not familiar with the Freddie references. And so um, another huge one is the little girl stripping jump rope outside of the house when Diana comes up mm-hmm. and they're singing the Topsy song. In all of the Freddy movies, there are little girls singing jump rope. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. You know, and that's yeah. every single. So, And that's what is, I figured was the yeah. connection with Nightmare on Elm. She's just having that mantra that's constantly repeated with that knocking on the door stuff. Mm-hmm. Because, And also just in, it's just creepy as hell. Just to yes. think like these things are coming after you. These with murderous intent, they look like savages. And they're saying, let me in. Let me devour you. Mm-hmm. Let me... Ugh. And that also... Go ahead, Portia. I just, like, it was just... I, it might be coming away from whatever your point is, but, like, it, like in talking about, like, our fears and then playing into, like, what happened to Bobo, and that is one of, like, you know, that's something that we are, like, that's what Black people fear. Like, mm. you grow up, your fear. That's a fear. It reminds me of the case of... Is it Renisha McBride who, like, she had a car accident. She went knocking on a white man's door. Mm. And that is, like, it's that's bringing me, like, into, like, fears. Like, another mm-hmm. fear that we have about knocking. Yep. Asking for help. No, and that, yeah. Yeah, that's right into the point. Because that's what Freddie would do was use your fears against you. Use the things you love. Use the things you feared. It would all come up in your dreams. And so this is all just hitting on every single level. I just loved how like they, you know, flipped the whole Diana not being heard by everyone. And yeah, yeah, no, they did it. Yeah. Once again, it reminds me of like those jokes that they make when they're like, parents are trying to relate to their kids like at least in the 90s like they turn the chair backwards put they put their hat backwards and sit down and say i used to be like you yeah. you know but they have no idea you have no idea what i'm going through or, or what's going on so and also the whole uh, i know one of our listeners to find it because i couldn't find it but there's definitely an iconic scene of freddie dancing after someone i think he's doing like the damn near singing in the rain and he's like dancing down the street after oh, wow. someone like with, shit. yeah, like with his claws on the wall and everything, and laughing all the way while he's doing it. Like he was the worst dog. Like as far as the whole comedy and killing you, it was all like he just seemed to enjoy his job more than anybody. That's what this reminds me. It's it's a big <laughs> the, the way that these monsters move in in this episode and within Nightmare on Elm Street and all these other horror films mm-hmm. is all showing fraud. It's yeah. all, you know, just delighting in other people's misery. Oh, yeah, uh, that was definitely Freddy. <laughs> and I loved it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, another huge theme is the aspect of worlds within worlds or thing or something being two sides of the same coin. Mm. As we see with the Topsy Bopsy twins, that the fact that they occupy the same space or we think they occupy the same space as everyone else, but no one else knows that they're haunting them except for Diana. She's cursed with them, actually. The fact, again, that the police are warlocks. Like, let's be real with this show. They, they straight up, what, whatever terminology you want to use for, for men that cast spells, they're warlocks. And they're doing this, uh, in a way, sight on scene, but also in plain sight. Like, they take Diana to the side in the alley and, and cast the spells and all that stuff. But they're also just walking around, police officers, people, uh, men of the law, if you will, that people will say oh well white people anyway they say oh they're here to protect me they would never hurt me in this that and other so um just that idea that someone could be they could they may represent one ideal but be a monster Mm -hmm. the understanding of and we've said this a lot just in general but the whole 
Ruby slash Hillary dichotomy and the Christina, or, or the, what do you call her? Wilstina? Wilstina. The Wilstina dichotomy. The, the fact that they both are, they're two different people or, and they're people within people when they're in their alter ego skin. That is another aspect of kind of the world being unseen, mm-hmm. a world within worlds. Uh, that conversation I wanted to yeah. bring, this is very pertinent. The conversation between Ruby and Christina this episode Mm-hmm. Where Ruby expresses that Christina doesn't know or really understand what the black community is going through. Mm-hmm. And that hit me the most. I had to pause it on that because the way that Ruby was struggling to try to get Christina to understand the depths of her emotions and her anger and the community's anger for what occurred to Emmett Till. And it's so similar and 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 it's just so it's, it makes me angry and also very sad that this is still happening because it reminds me of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, like that deep-seated anger and, and, and sometimes very validly the hatred and the realization that that develops when you realize that some people just won't care, will never get it, that they will never experience having to fight for your life just for being black, that you can't do something simple without someone trying to mis- change it into something else. Uh, we saw it when Ruby tried to walk into the house and the random white guy, the, the white caring guy walked up and was like, what are you doing here? Why, how, how, there's no way you would be in this neighborhood. Are you the mm. maid or something? Just mm-hmm. that idea that someone can not only do that to you, but then the consequence is death. Mm-hmm. So that understanding of like black people just over and over feeling like heartbroken. And, and, and this was... Ruby's phrase, she said, heartbroken, scared, furious, tired. This exercise that keeps reoccurring. And then the exercise that happens, if you if you bring it back to modern times, like even with your white coworkers and friends or family members or whatever, like when you try to explain to them what is going on and why this is a problem, why you're so upset and all this stuff, and they're kind of looking at you like, oh. Or, or I know for some people it pisses them off when, White people say, well, educate me. And and sometimes that like they're being genuine, but it's just like, how can I educate you on what it's like to live in my skin? I have a question for y'all on that. And it, well, first, let me say this because this is something that I always talk about is, and it's once again another one of my realizations with my growth, is I realize why men don't understand um what women go through is the same reason why white people don't understand what black people go through is because it's something that you have to experience. It's just not something you can be told about. It's the same way that we get mad at white people. Cause we're like, Oh, why don't they feel, you know, it's like Ruby is like, why don't you feel this Christina and men get, and women get mad at men because they're like, why don't you feel this? And it's just the same thing because we don't experience it every day. Christina can hear it for those five minutes of Ruby's yelling at her, and then it's like, Psh, all right, you know, because it's not something where it has to affect her daily being. She doesn't go out into the world in the same skin that Ruby does. She doesn't experience the same things the same way. So she's never, it's never going to hit her the same way. And it's the same reason that men don't see the same world. I mean, women and men, we don't understand why the patriarchal system affects women the same way. We don't get it, you know, because we don't earn 75 cents to a dollar etc etc it just doesn't affect our daily routine you know it's just things that women go through that we just do not go through as men and because you don't go through it you don't get it 
I don't know. I feel like there's two sides of that, though. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. there's, like, not understanding and then sitting, not trying to understand, just yep. letting it be. Like, I don't mm-hmm. understand, therefore, I'm not going to try to understand. Therefore, I think you're just making it up to a certain extent because if I don't, if I can't understand it, then it must not be true kind of thing. Um, and I see that happen a lot. And then I think there's another side of that where you're like, that's not my lived experience, but I'll try my hardest to like understand so that I'm not doing the same, mm-hmm. like putting the same trauma that you're going through on you. Yes. I'll try not to do the same things that you're telling me about to you. Cause I feel like there's plenty of things like as a cishet black woman, I don't know uh, mm-hmm. like of the same like experiences of my like queer or like a gender non- non-binary friends or whatever, but I'm not going to like, associate my not knowing their life to not take a minute to actually try to understand and not like see what's Mm -hmm. harmed them and not put that harm back on them like i'll try my best to not do that to Mm -hmm. them as well Mm -hmm. i feel like there's a difference between like not understanding and therefore not doing anything about misunderstanding and then like the actually just like trying to learn from it and i think that from this like christina took what ruby said and instead of Sitting like literally the, she, like literally she said like she literally rewrote what ruby said in front of her she rewrote the history of like what ruby's feelings were to her face and was like i'm gonna tell you how you actually feel because i don't think you actually feel like that to be honest hmm. and i'm gonna tell you that like like i do i can associate you with your pain in that i am a woman and i can mm-hmm. tell you that as a woman i can see that you had desires even on this very bad day um, and I, you feel guilty about having desires on this very bad day, but I'm going to tell you that you just liberate yourself, girl, do what you got to do. And mm-hmm. that's like, that's not, you're missing the point. You're not actually trying to leave. You weren't, it's like she was listening. Like, it's like what men do to women all the time. You listen to a person, but you're not really listening. You're ready to have the point against mm-hmm. whatever the F they said. So as mm-hmm. soon as Ruby stopped talking, she was ready to make her points to make Ruby feel like. That's not how you really feel, fam. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you, like, and it's, I don't know if Ruby came out of that conversation like, man, she really doesn't get it. Or she came (laughs) out of it like, man, do I actually feel that way? Do I actually feel guilty about my desires? Is that what I feel guilty about? I think it was the latter because Ruby was looking very (laughs) pensive, like, hmm. And... And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and I know where you're going. And, well, and. I, well, <laughs> go, no, go ahead, because we may be talking. Like, there's. Two, I think we talk about the same thing. Ruby shows up a little later, and I'm like, oh, Ruby's turning into Atticus, the villain in this series. <laughs> you know, like I thought it was Atticus, and now oh, it's Ruby. You know, I'm not sure who's the bad guy because you know, like Ruby shows up and has this argument with Letty, but she's like, oh, I'm gonna learn magic, and Christina told me that, and it's like, damn, Christina just put you in your place five seconds ago, and now you, you know, sipping the Kool Aid. Yeah. I mean, you already sipped the blood Kool-Aid, so now you really sipping the more Kool-Aid, but yes. Uh, and and also, before <laughs> we move out of that conversation that they had, Ruby also said something very poignant. She says, I want you to feel guilty for feeling safe next to your privilege, mm-hmm. to, to paraphrase. And again, we talk about white privilege all the time, and, and that, that, exper- like, that experience that a lot of white people say is that I don't have privilege. We talk about a world unseen that, two sides of the same coin it's like Mm. you do Mm -hmm. whether you realize it or not you just the fact for example and we saw it in we saw at least on the show we saw it in real time when ruby was was uh hillary she walked down the street and had what full-fledged white privilege she got free ice cream all this other stuff people oh you you're great la 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 love you all this stuff but if she would walk down that same street as herself what would she get jeers 
sneers, uh, you know, people saying something about her. What are you doing here? Are you the maid? Shit like that. And <laughs> I was curious, though, was that last, because that was kind of the last thing that Ruby said to her before Christina, I guess, tried to put her in her place. But then at the end of the episode, towards the end, Christina, she reenacts Emmett Till's murder on herself. She, she pays I, two I, I, men to beat her ass, then tie a, I, I, that's a, I forgot what kind of fan that is, but cotton gin, cotton fan. gin fan, which has a lot of implications there. But yep. they tie a metal cotton gin fan around her neck with barbed wire, throw it in the water, and then shoot sh- her. Shoot her. I forgot yeah, for, that part. Yeah, shoot her. Yeah. Again, this all happened to Emmett. Yep. And then essentially drown her. Now, being that Christina has the mark of Kane, she's invulnerable, so she, she doesn't die. The men don't know that. That's not the point. Why did she decide to do that? It's because, is it because she wanted to try to feel the pain that Ruby was talking about? Well, that's my, there's multiple points here. Yeah. One. Yup. Yeah, on this one, you talk about men saying that. Go ahead, because I, I sat back and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so, so please help me. <laughs> I feel like for me, there's multiple points here. This is like, one, this is taking me back to like some classroom like trauma that I have from uh, my grad school days when um, we had this unit on uh, whiteness. Like there were some girls who did facilitate, like this is a class and facilitate different things in it. And they facilitated a unit on whiteness and there was one white girl in the class who got really pissed off because started talking about the ways white people were guilty of oppressing black people in particular but also people across all these different things um and redlining was up all these different things Mm -hmm. and it just brought me back to that was like she was pissed off about the fact that she felt she thought that the thing that she's supposed to feel was white guilt and then here ruby's saying i want you to feel white guilt and i'm like I don't know if I don't personally don't care about white guilt unless your white guilt leads you to do something good for black people or people mm-hmm. of color. Then I don't care about if you feel guilty or not. What I feel like I want from you, honestly, is for you to listen and do whatever you can to make things better. If that means just buying from black businesses for the rest of your life, do that. If that means every time you see an opportunity, like if you uh, have a job where you can hire people and you decide, okay, every time I get the opportunity, I will try my darndest to get a person of color in position, do that. But don't sit over here and just be sitting here twiddling your thumbs, feeling guilty about things. That doesn't do anything for anybody. And that like, that just like made me feel weird about Ruby and her intentions. So I'm like, I don't think she's, <laughs> I don't know what she's trying to get from the situation. What does white guilt do for her? Um, and then the whole Christina thing, I was like, Christina heard what Ruby said. And instead of taking it as this one in particular death is, like she took it as this one particular death was really hot, hard for Ruby. And so then tried to put, like she's trying, it's basically like the- she's Trying to take her pain into her self? But like, what is she doing? She, because remember she said to Christina in the speech, she said, you, um, you talked about pain being part of your process of you metamorphosizing, mm-hmm. but where you saw that, I saw it as a rebirth. And mm. so I felt like she mm. thought that mm. she thought that um, this very traumatic death was something that was could be a vehicle for her own rebirth in some way. 
or like help her get a deeper understanding of Ruby's pain whenever Ruby's going through things in a way, mm. which still does not make any sense. <laughs> no. Like when and, she thought she's gonna be reborn as a white ally. Like, like I what what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then also it just felt like for again, the whole point of the matter is like she's it's like she sees the forest, she sees the trees, but not the forest. Um, is that like she the whole thing is that the black she like Ruby talk about the black community itself was traumatized by this death that had happened. We talk about Emma Till's like his open casket and like mm-hmm. what the funeral. Over fifty thousand people it went to go see this body on a hot summer day with mm-hmm. no air conditioning in Chicago. So it wasn't like it was just like a small only a couple black it's like the whole all every black people across the world people didn't even live in chicago were feeling the like effects of um emmett because they there's so many emmets mm-hmm. yeah. and trayvon is an emmet like all these people they're emmets and it's like she, christina cannot even fathom the fact that it's a community pain that it's a community drama that it's something that we all have a fear of she couldn't even go there and it just like i don't understand how her doing this death scene was going to help her get any closer to there. I don't think she even like recognized that was a thing she needed to recognize. Yeah. Did, did, this is a question for the both of you. Did either mm-hmm. of you know the name of his murderers prior to this episode? I definitely I had heard them before. Yes. I've heard, I heard them before, them, yeah. but I never, I don't, I don't keep them in my brain. Them, yeah. J.W. Milam and Roy Bryant, because she yeah. said those names and she said how justice will never find them because mm-hmm. they got away with kidnapping and murdering Emmett. And, yep. you know, when I actually looked up who they were and, and realized their connection and the fact that I, I don't know what year it was. I, I didn't pay attention to that year, but the fact that they admitted to everything and gave their own accounting of how it went down mm-hmm. afterwards and they were paid for it by the and magazine. The, yeah. Then it was like $3,000, which is a bunch of money at that time. And, and the brutality, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we see it happening, Christina, but the fact to just the, Seeing that brutality and understanding who it was targeted against and the fact that it's a child, mm-hmm. that what Fs me up the most. And the fact that the white woman who said that Emmett whistled at her. And he never did. Never did. She admitted it after like, living what, her like last full year ass life. Yeah. It was last year or two right before she died or something yeah. like that. She said, oh, yeah, that never happened. Thanks, yeah. lady. Thanks. Yeah. After living her full ass life. But, um, yeah. Now that y'all said, I I was just confused. You know, I didn't get it at all, Portia. Like you said, I don't I don't think it really applied. I don't. I'm not sure if Christina can't understand that. You know, the community is mourning. I just think Christina doesn't care, and I could think Christina believes her position as a woman overrides everything. You know, she's like, and mm-hmm. that's the question I think that she's posing to Ruby: Are you a woman or are you black? And I think Ruby is tired of being the black and the dark skinned woman, you know, and having mm-hmm. to deal with this light skinned sister and this, you know, her life where she's had to see everything pass over her and not take her chances where she's like, fuck it. Not only am I black and I'm a woman, you know, I'm not only a black, I'm also a woman. So which of these two can I use to get ahead? Mm-hmm. But I really, you know, by the end of the episode, I'm questioning um, her. But Ruby? like, you yeah, I'm questioning. Ruby, Ruby but... also does say she does, she says very specifically she's not she does not want to be white. Yeah, no, but she definitely no not about questioning her about Ruby. I'm questioning her allegiances. I mean, not oh. about her whiteness. Oh yeah, her allegiances are a little sus right I now. I mean, I've always I mean, Loki. I've always felt 
um, a ways about Ruby, mm-hmm. um, especially after the episode where they have the party in the house. Cause mm-hmm. Whenever she's giving her little speech to her friends that that are people who are listening to her, yeah. um, when she's like, "Well, if more people were like me," she's basically she's basically preaching like respectability. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "I have a side eye for this woman for the rest of the series because mm. this respectability thing is not going to go mm. away. I can I can tell it's going to be sticking around with her." And the one thing that really broke me, and you were talking about this earlier about repeating, you know, seeing Trayvon Martin and everything, was at during the funeral scene, was seeing the Nation of Islam yes. talk about, we got to have revolution, we got to do things. And then they cut to the priest and the rabbi, and they're like, oh, we got to do things by the law. And it's like the same argument over and over. And the same players, notice that. And the that. same players over and over. And yet, here we are, 2020, and... We still saying the same ass mess. <sighs> take a deep breath, y'all. <laughs> take a deep breath. That, that was yeah. definitely a perfect time to take a deep breath. Yeah. I just and, need uh, that to be, if there's a transcript of this, it'd be like notated as collective deep Negro sigh. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's that, uh, if you peeped our Instagram, the Safe Negro Pod, the remix to the Montrose scene, that's that side that Atticus left out when Montrose plays the song like, Jesus. <sighs> yeah. Uh, but which is hilarious, Ben. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Uh, just continuing and, and finishing up that that idea of worlds within worlds. This part completely upended Ben Amin's entire theory. <laughs> Malcolm X Jeff. <laughs> His entire theory that he had. If you if you all were listening to the last episode, which you should have, Ben Amin. When we when we found that that Atticus came out the portal with the Lovecraft Country book, Ben and it says written by George Freeman, Ben I mean was all, oh that trash bag George Freeman stole Hippolyta's story and and getting whatever else you said about that. But well, that's said not, that trash well, bag George Freeman. I was right not, about one. But well, yes. <laughs> However, we find out something completely different. That Lovecraft Country book is actually written by Atticus's son, who. That one, that's how Atticus realizes or just presumes that Letty must be pregnant. And two, we realize that he na- Atticus named his son after Uncle George. Mm-hmm. Then the big head fucker is when Atticus says this version of the version of the book that he's that he has out of the portal. He says it's their quote family story, but the details are different. Quote: Christina is a man. Uncle George survives. And D, Diana, is a boy named Horace, which, if we take it into real world context, is literally how the actual Matt Ruff Lovecraft Country book is outlined. Those are, that's literally, if you read the book, we talk about how this show just changes a lot of the details from the book. And what, and I, I was just like, yo, is this like Misha doing Inception? Like, is she trying to say, yeah, nigga, I know I changed it. I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. exactly what details I changed. Definitely. And also, like the the idea of if if you want to take a Stranger Things town, the upside down, like the complete flipping of 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 genders and race and all this other stuff. It's it's just this show is so expertly written, and I just really want everyone to give big ups to the team and especially to Misha, seriously, mm-hmm. and to For all the, the black women, team. yo, yeah. and to all the black women involved who are putting the I'm, I I likened it to a lotus flower, the layers, mm-hmm. delicious. Absolutely <laughs> yeah and yes my theory was wrong and what really kills me is maybe two days after we recorded the episode 
I was on Twitter talking with somebody about the episode, and they were like, yo, that price tag on the books. And I was like, yeah, that's that Walden Books price. And I should have got it right then because the book cover just looks like a late 70s, early 80s horror, fantasy, sci-fi book yeah. cover. And the price is late 70s, early 80s. So I should have realized right then, oh, oh it's really? for the future. Yeah, right. straight up. But the price on the book is like $2.50, $3. Because me and somebody oh, on the is. me and somebody on Twitter were like, you know, somebody was like, damn, I wish I could still get books. You know, they were like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's that Walden Bush. But that's how it was when I was a little kid. And like, oh, it even looks like a book that my older sister had. You know, she used to have yeah. this horror novel that I would never read. But, it, you know, the covers were like that. And yeah, I'm and, so and mad sh- at myself. Shout outs to all the people who won the books. <laughs> we did do a giveaway of, yep. of Lovecraft Country books. And yes, the book... As Benami mentions, it it, re- it looks like a it, it looks like the old school type book, and it, and it even looks seems like it's old. It's a yeah. brand new book, y'all. We never touched it. We did not we did not manipulate any way. It's supposed to look old, so mm-hmm. I just wanted to make the, that point. Yeah, like the book in the show looking like an eighties. Like I think that's what got us from like I think what got kept people from like thinking like that it was George's Addis's son. Um, was the fact that like for us that's an old style cover of a book. Mm-hmm. In their universe, like it's the fifties. That's a newish yeah, style cover yeah. for them. So that yeah. was that's probably what like, kept people from figuring it out. Was like from uh, for us, that's like a reference that's like old by now. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. know, it's interesting. I'm so mad. It, yeah, it would have been interesting <laughs> if like Addison said something like, "This looks so futuristic" or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, it didn't. It was something that I didn't really think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just finally in this area. Atticus mentions he has he has a chat with his dad. He mentions he was in the future only for a few moments. He was in the future. Well, first of all, that explains where he was somewhat that he was. He claims he was in the future. He said that he saw a bunch of white people rioting, which I'm just like. Sounds right. Sounds right. But who knows what that, that could really, be any time. That could be any time. But what's yeah. that in reference to white people? Oh, are rioting. Maybe Vietnam. Late 70s could be. Yeah, could be Vietnam. But late 70s would be past Vietnam. So, uh, but who knows like, how? Make peace, not war. Like those are hippies. Like they, yeah, that but that's was like. But that'd be after that, because that's like late seventies. That's done. You know that yeah. those those riots are done. So whatever world he was in, or future, or whatever. White people are always rioting. <laughs> whatever Don't world or future that Atticus was in, he mentions that a woman handed him that Lovecraft Country book and pushed him back through the portal. The woman had on a hood and she had a robotic arm. For me, my initial thought was like, yo, was that person Serafina? Because in when we saw her in I Am episode, she had that robotic kind of Wakandan-looking coat, uh, the suit of armor, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, she, it looks like a robotic body. So I'm just like, wait a minute. Did Serafina jump in there and hand them the book? Like, what was that about? And like we were talking about before the show, I just can't see Serafina messing with bum-ass Atticus. So maybe she just, you know, is like, here, take this book, figure it out for yourself. I ain't even going to give you time to ask you who you are or any of that. And get your ass on out of here, you know. But also, as we learn, like, later in the episode, um, Atticus knows that he's supposed to be dead by the time that George writes the book or mm-hmm. whatever. So it could be that she didn't want him to mess up the time-space continuum because he's not technically alive in that mm. version of the future. So he shouldn't yeah. be around. Like he shouldn't. He'll mess up what's going, whatever's going on. But also, don't know. I don't know how this works. I don't know if it's interdimensional. I don't know what's yeah, going on. Yeah, we still and don't also, know that. Also, what we've realized throughout this series is that there seems to be this 
ongoing thing, or at least for one person, Hiram, about people losing arms. Mm-hmm. Who else is about to lose their arm if they have a robotic arm? Oh. What does that mean? Is it someone that we know that is something's going to in the future? Could be. Who knows? Also, fun fact that we didn't mention last episode, but Serafina, her name is written in the credits as Beyond Say. So it's it's spelled the word beyond and the letter C uh, apostrophe. Like C'est la vie. E-S-T, like C'est la vie, French, right? Yeah. And when you say it, you don't pronounce the T and all that stuff. It's pronounced Beyonce. I don't think nobody finds <laughs> it's Beyonce. But, it, <laughs> but also, like, yeah. it, it actually fits with the title of the episode as well, because I am Sasha Fierce. Oh, is I am. Wow. And Beyonce is God, you know, if you didn't know already. <laughs> You, I mean, you already outlined how the Black Beehive are the beating you, heart of the universe. So, Look, you know. The Beehive yeah. loves you, Ben. Look, this is a, I am Trey Ward, born and raised, folks. You know, Beyonce, Black women are God. Beyonce is, you know, one of the ultimate expressions of Black women on the planet. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Quickly. There's my TED Talk for this week. Thank you. <laughs> Quickly, because because we just have a few more themes to get through. Uh, mm mm-hmm. uh, this is overriding throughout the series where you get to continuously see that the dehumanization of black people and children. We saw it in how Emmett Till was kidnapped and murdered and, and also just the fact that they expressed this again in this episode. You see it throughout in the racist caricatures and the ads and the art. We see it with Topsy Bopsy, the cream of wheat man, things like Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben's rice, things in pop culture where there's Uncle Tom's Cabin, the minstrel shows, the racist nursery rhymes that are being sung by little white girls. <laughs> it's just all freaking it just, over it the place. It just permeates everything. And, and that's why I'm just like, you know, as a white person, the fact that like you don't even, just even, and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to do it. Fuck it. I'm calling out some of these people who are reviewing the show who have oh. some of the white folks like y'all are fucking missing it. So and, much. And I just, and, and a side of me is like, I cannot fathom how you could. And then the other side is like, my guy, of course they would. It's like I said earlier, they don't see it. You know, like what you said, Portia. And like, I, I know, it, I, I get what you were saying, Portia, earlier. But it's like, it's also, it's just a thing, like, it becomes difficult. It's like I tell people about, like, prison. Like, unless you've been there, you don't get it. You know, and it's just like me. I'm not a woman, so I don't get it. I can be told about it all the time. And I can do my, fi- you know, part to fight it. But there's to be so much shit that I just miss because I don't get it. But the part of me that says, like, I can't fathom is because, like, Google's a thing. Like, we, we are in 2020 and, and black people exist. We're so, in the future and black so people are ignorance. here. We've existed for such a to. long time. There, there's it, like, like, even if you have zero black friends, which is like, okay, why are you possible. even reviewing this show? Right. Like, if you have zero <laughs> black friends, like, don't review the show, please. There, there's stuff going. I'm not even going to say that because I want to see what, what dumb shit you're going to say. <laughs> but it's just. It's just, to me, it's zero just too many friends. resources. Come it's, on. In my head, there's just too many resources for just certain things to just be going over your head like that. That's Bam. I just want to throw that out there. Hey, if y'all want to say, I, I, you know, I, I eat this somebody, whatever. I'm not talking about nobody in particular because I don't listen to their shows, but I'm just saying I, mm. I know it's out there. But if you don't have, this is my thing. If you have zero black friends, then you've never had or you've never ever heard straight off the cuff from someone about any issue from their lens, from like the black lens. So mm-hmm. there's no, why are you looking, watching this show mm. that is strictly learn. from, what are you learning? But they're not learning. I read a review today by a woman who, white woman who had seen the first five episodes and most of her review just centered on Jordan Peele for some reason, 
talked about other shows, and then just completely missed anything that was in the first five episodes that was relevant to the experience that we go through. Uh, and I feel like you, Portia, and you know, if you have no black friends, then that's one of the moments when you pass this job on to somebody else. Yep. That's all there is to it. I feel like there's a difference between watching it to learn and reviewing it. You yeah. can watch it all good, good long day. Yeah. But why are you reviewing it? Like, why are you putting out a voice for mm-hmm. a concept that you don't understand? Yeah, because this woman completely disrespected the show, and I've seen it time and time again. And, like, it's something I even talk about as a screenwriter. I want to do a podcast just focused on screenwriting for um, people of color, for, you know, uh, my, I, don't, I hate the word minorities and I hate the word oppressed, but pe- marginalized, people, marginalized people. Because I feel like it's it's a whole different thing that has to be taught. Like people aren't getting that. Like you, you, you can write a script if you don't include any people of color or any references to anything other than whiteness. And it's a different thing when you're writing a script like Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. Like these are two different things. Like you can have a show like Tales from the Crypt or you can have Lovecraft Country. And you can't compare them on the same levels because one of these shows has to deal with a lot of things that this show can ignore because of its privilege, just like Christina and Ruby. And when you speak about marginalized people, you also have to talk about the intersections they're in. Mm-hmm. And that was particularly when you're talking about the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. and, and, and black people. Like, if, you know, if you're not here for those in the LGBTQ space that are black, then you're not for all black people. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's one of the last uh, points here about that that story that Macho shares, where he says his Ooh. pastor was lobotomized for being caught uh, after being caught in the park with another man. And Macho, seeing that, he was just like, "Yo, do I want to?" Essentially, essentially, he said, "Do I want to be happy, like live live do, live in my true self? Or do I want to live?" Yeah. And the fact that you have to make that choice, man, and then you still are not quite your true self because you're black person in a racist country. And you got to it's it's the levels, <laughs> the levels. Uh, moving on, like Wait, I mentioned, real, real quick, right there ahead, because we have our trash back Olympics that we started on Twitter <laughs> for this show. Oh my god! I have to say that Montrose is moving up to be that golden trash bag right now. Like Montrose, oh, trash bag. Okay, yo, I oh, follow a Safe Negro Pod on Twitter and on IG because we yes. have the memes. Yeah, and I, I mean, Maltrose had me, like, you know, clutching my heart in this episode so many times, like, where I was like, God damn, like, you know, when he tells him, you know, I put my intention to save my son and my grandson, you know, I was I, like, God damn him, you know. I was just then, like, okay, you're heroic now, thanks. But then you still a hoe ass, because, you know, five seconds later, he's like, got any other secrets to tell me? Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, where Montrose got me, this was the, like, talking about, like, his childhood. Like, that, I think mm. that's where he made himself. It was, it's sad because that the theme that Tatiana is bringing up there is, like, the dehumanization of black children and people. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, and, like, the lobotomizing of, like, a black queer person in the story that Montrose shared. And it's also, like, the same thing that happened to Emmett Till, right? Like, he, like, Ruby says he looked like a monster. Like, after what happened to him, like, mm-hmm. in his casket, he looked like a monster. And I feel like that's literally what Montrose was, like, bringing into the play. He was relating to D by talking about how his child and how he lost a friend at a young age and how he felt like it was a rite of passage for Black kids. And I'm like, I mean, it's true. And I, like, for Montrose to do that in this episode to, like, bring how his, bring out more of himself and, like, how he ended up the way he was, it, not, not that I'm saying that I, like, 
like Montrose at all because I still don't. No, but I still don't. It does make it does. It's ironic that it humanizes him by talking about all the ways that he was dehumanized or mm-hmm. people around him were dehumanized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also ironic that he blessed himself after he tried to do the spell <laughs> on Atticus. Yeah, and still rest in peace to Yahima and F Montrose over here. Yeah, I can't believe yeah. that. Uh, the next. The references we, we there are patterns that always appear in all of these episodes. This time, I saw the pattern I recognized was lots of black and white costuming and references. Mm-hmm. You saw Letty wearing that black top with the white pants when you know she ran. She was leaving the house and ran into Diana. Diana is wearing a white dress with a black belt, and and within the funeral, most people are wearing black or subdued colors, and she's the only one wearing white. And you had a note about that, Portia. Yeah, and then also it kind of like talking about rites of passages there, right? It um kind of symbolizes her loss of innocence. Like she's wearing this white. It's probably like, and she's going back into this very dark uh, situation and this very like bleak and black, like everyone's wearing black around her. And then as the episode goes on, like she lost the innocence of like, she thought like she lost a friend really early. She doesn't know where her mother is. She discovers that Woody's in a back, like Woody's there. So she loses, mm-hmm. she's lost both parents in her mind. She isn't as far as she knows. And she can't even process that because she's being um, chased by Topsy and Boxy. So she just like is going through a whole like passage of like, right of passage of like growing older and going into like fears and things that people don't typically have to mm. worry about until they're older. Mm. Um and so this kind of like who she is, right? It symbolizes like the color white is standing for this being like her last, this probably possibly the last time she feels innocent for a long time. Mm. I can understand that. Mm-hmm. The There's a famous photo of Emmett Till and I think they use a version of it where he's, he's wearing a, that black and white tie that his character, that ca- the boy that plays him in the mm-hmm. earlier episodes actually wearing that same tie. The... The aspect of Ruby, a black woman emerging out of a white body, the 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 actual interracial relationship between Will Stina and and I don't know what you got to make up one for Ruby slash Hillary. Yeah, I, I, uh, that's, how, that's kind of Rulillery. Yeah, Rulillery. Uh, <laughs> Rulillery. Yeah, it's literally black and white. Uh, yeah. Letty and the church when yeah. she meets up with Christina or Christina meets up with her. Letty's wearing black, sitting next to Christina, who's all in uh, mostly white or light colors. Mm-hmm. And then we have this this kind of new entry, a new version of the Shogoth, <laughs> this new Pokemon version. The Blogoth. The Blogoth, the black Shogoth. And yes. there's there's debate off as to why it's black, perhaps mm-hmm. because it's born from the concrete. That's why it just takes on the color of whatever it's formed. Yep. Um, but we've seen the white Shogoth be born from cows, and cows are black and white. So what's going on there? We don't know. <laughs> it does. Uh, when I peeped it, like I say, it definitely comes out of the concrete and to me it resembles the color of the concrete and that made me think of the idea of golems and golems are come from jewish mythology and they're usually depicted as something to protect you and they can be drawn from anything like wood clay stone iron in dungeons and dragons and a lot of other role-playing games they're pretty much created from anything and i've also seen while doing my research i saw one video game that actually uses golems and shoggoths interchangeably. Whereas, like, you know, a golem could be a shoggoth. So I think Montrose, you know, I mean, Montrose and Atticus cast a spell of protection, and when the policeman fires at Atticus, the shoggoth is the form of the shell p- spell protection and forms out of the concrete. So that's why he looks black. But, you know, because I'm black, 
we're going to claim this man as <laughs> our own. Blog off. <laughs> I don't. I just wanted to make that because I, I saw that that pattern appear, and mm-hmm. it's similar to the the light versus darkness pattern that that saw a lot in this episode. And if he you distinguishes some light, boy. Yo, if you didn't notice, <laughs> there was an on. If you didn't notice, there was an ongoing blackout in the city during mm-hmm. this episode, where various different parts of the city were going off and on, losing power for random amounts of time, and and generally in most stories, light significant. Light, the significance of light is to keep out the dark. It's protection. Uh, it's the antithesis of darkness or negativity. As you mentioned, light colors is purity and all this other stuff. And and with the blackout, people have to, you know, they have to, that you see them lighting candles. You see them with lanterns and all sorts of stuff. In the church, the church had a ridiculous amount of candles in it. I, I, I presume that that was, that was particularly for Emmett and the fact that people were still praying for him and, and, and all this other stuff. But you know, in a lot of religious contexts, you know, the light is like the symbol of that unwavering spirit and of faith and everything. There's there's candles and lanterns in Montrose's apartment when they're casting a spell with Atticus. Like, as you saw, Atticus blesses himself because and and Attic and uh, excuse me, Manchos blesses himself and Atticus as well. Neither of them really trust that, that this is safe, so they're they're surrounding themselves with light. Uh, Diana, when she's seeking refuge and also trying to create a trap for that for the Topsy Bopsy twins, she uses lanterns and a flashlight in the shop. And then, as you mentioned, Ben, that, that which is kind of a flip, actually, the dark Shogoth protects Atticus, whereas the the light Shogoth was uh, wanted to kill him. Blog off. Blog off. <laughs> Thank you for the correction. Thank you for Look, the correction. Look, just because he's black does not mean he's dark. You know what I mean? He like, is... I'm thinking, I, because I, because they're fan, they're fantasy car- uh, creatures. I'm thinking yeah. like dark elf versus. Yeah, but see, dark elves that's some racist ish. That you know, part that's a, too. That's a whole episode, but we ain't gonna get into that right now because that's yeah. a whole another episode. You know, yeah, yeah. the Dro is racist though, folks. Let's get it out there. In Jesus. This, in this upcoming theme, Ben says, "Why don't they just have a conversation?" Because oh, this would fix it. everything. The idea of keeping secrets and all the problems it causes. Ben, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Gia showing up, though, looking like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> looking like, you know you want some of this kumiho. <laughs> you know you want this fox swap. Ooh, yeah, Gia's looking good, boy. But, yeah, Atticus keeping, you know, the, uh, I mean, that what I can't blame him for. You know, like, fam, like, once again, like, it's it's just like with Gia, like, how do you explain that? You know, like, oh, uh, well, you know, I was up in that WAP and then find nine not sale, Fox sales came up out of it. You know, that's not a story anyone's going to believe. But at least even saying that he was in love with another person overseas, I guess he never thought she would ever come from Korea to Chicago. And also, is but it any of Letty's business? Her. Is it he any lady's business that he was in love with somebody else? But I listen, mean, the reason why is the reason why it's her business because now they have a full fledged relationship, and he continue and she continuously calls him out on it for at least three episodes. You keep keeping shit from me. She but tells he she tells of, him this over and over again, and she says we yeah. are in this together. Like they're mm-hmm. going through the fucking magic gauntlet, and he's still not telling her shit. I mean, I blame these morons for going and casting two different protection spells because they can't have one simple conversation. But him not telling her about his old thing, you know, I 
I understand. Also, it's like, do you really want to be like, oh, I had this Korean woman who looked just like you? You know, like, like you my replacement. Like, you don't really know. That was one thing that cracked me up whenever I saw Gia announce, like, whenever they were sitting across the table from each other. Like, yeah. I was expecting it. Like, if, like in my mind, whenever I saw the Gia episodes, I was expecting if they were ever to come head to head and see each other, like, to see how they're styled similarly in their hair yeah. and all that stuff. And then she, it was like, they decided, like, okay, no, Gia yeah. has moved on from yeah. Atticus. She doesn't spit that mold anymore. She looks a little bit different. Her hair is straight now. It's and it's longer or whatever. It's not like cropped up yeah. like the way that Luddy's mm-hmm. is. But I was still like, that's still Atticus's type though. Yes. Like if she had her hair back like that, like Luddy, Luddy would be so pissed. She'd just be looking at her like, "Are you serious?" Like, yeah. Yeah. like let, let, let's get let's be clear. That was a full fledged Maury scene, yeah. baby mama drama. Yes. Dead like dead and Atticus came with the Maury line too. Like, <laughs> I don't love you no more. Get the fuck out. He got a, oh my gosh. He got a monster. Nerves. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you monster. And I, I loved how, like, as I'm talking about Misha's, like, direction, I loved how the camera tilted whenever he realized that um, Gia was there. Like, mm-hmm. his whole world was like, like, you could see his brain being like, oh, oh. no. Oh, the, the, the wee bait I gift showed up. Yeah. In the camera stuff. Yeah. And just more about keeping secrets. Letty keeping her pregnancy a secret. When when Atticus like said he realized he said, Oh yeah, Letty's probably pregnant. And he said it so nonchalantly. I'm like, wait, when did Letty tell him? But apparently Letty didn't. He no. just because of when he found out when he got the book. And her acting son. sick and all that, you know, all yeah. the weird, yeah, you know. And I thought he knew because in the beginning when they were at the funeral, he was all like, Are you okay? You want mm-hmm. some water? But I guess yeah. he, he knew, knew but then. not because she told him. Yeah, yeah. no. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why she's looking at him like, why are you treating me like this? Leave me alone. Yeah. Right, right, right. Montrose keeping his real self a secret. Uh, we talked about the fact that he's gay and he, he's been playing this 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 non-gay person. And then keeping his dyslexia a secret. That's I just like every time we, every episode is something new about Montrose. was like, why didn't you fucking share that? When he tries to read the incantation or, or he, he reads a, a, a I forgot what he was reading. He's reading a phrase or a passage and he reads some of the words backwards and, and Atticus comes over and is like, oh, you got to switch the words around. And Macho acts like it was like a one-time deal and, and Atticus is like, nah, you do that a lot. No, Mantra says that. Like, oh, mm-hmm. Atticus yeah, excuse is, me. Mm-hmm. Atticus is like, oh yeah, you know, sometimes he's like, oh, maybe it's a one-time deal and Montrose is like, yeah, that happens a lot and then we reveal he has dyslexia. But I don't think that's how dyslexia works. It does in some cases. Oh, okay. People do switch words when they're reading, yeah. Okay, I thought dyslexia was literally like you switch the angle. So like nines and sixes can be hard because they can be, mm-hmm. you can think they're oh, the same. it manifests in different ways. Yeah. Sometimes it definitely could be worse. Yeah. And that's why certain, what I learned actually, um, interesting enough with dyslexia, I learned that the font Comic Sans is actually yeah. Good really for helpful for people mm-hmm. with dyslexia. And I hate that font with a passion. But because it, it just looked, it just doesn't look serious. But apparently, it's very helpful for people with mm. dyslexia because of it gives a distinct shape to each of the letters. So it helps prevent the flipping of letters and numbers and and the switching of words. So fun fact there. Also, uh, according to I want to say it's the tipping point. One of Malcolm Gladwell's books, people with dyslexia because they have to overcome so much are uh, usually a lot more successful, or it can lead to success, or it can lead to a lot of struggling because. It's usually one or the other. Definitely struggle in Macho's case. Well, but he overcame some too, you know? Struggle. Yeah. Struggle. And <laughs> it's just because he just does such, like, 
Everyone does, though. He does See, not like, deserve. Once again, he does not deserve Sammy. That's all I got to say. Facts. But, you know, we talked about Letty, Letty and uh, Atticus both effing up. You know, like Letty could easily tell this man she's pregnant. That's a lot easier than telling you about the Kuma, you know, like she does not trust this man. I think the issue comes up when the person like you doing all this secretive stuff, but you're not being good enough about being secret that the person finds out. Just like when in this last part, Diana realizes her mother, who knows what her mom's is. She realized everyone's been lying to her because Mm -hmm. she finds Woody in the back of the house. Yep. And it's just like, wait a minute. It's sloppy, and it's just like, <laughs> once again, like, could we have a conversation? And then again, and you can argue, what do you tell a 10-year-old, or however, how old Diana is, what do you tell a little girl that her mom disappeared into some magic portal? I'm like, well, the girl's writing fiction comic books about mm-hmm. Orinthia Blue, so I think she, she could, mentally could handle something. I don't know. But I mean, does it work know. in her favor? Because when the cops come up to her and ask her what she knows about magic, she's like, my fantasy books? So like, yeah. right. does it kind of, it kind of... True. It kind of saves her. Yeah. For, for her, but it's still kind of her ignorance saves yeah, her. Yeah, but they still put her on a, put a curse on her that's possibly going to kill her. So there's also, does it? I don't know. Yeah. Mini side coin there. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure, bro. <laughs> I, I'm not sure whatsoever. Ben Ami has a great theme here. These white men are dangerous. Gift. Oh, that's actually Portia. Oh, yeah. Portia, excuse me. Once again, I feel the, like my terribleness <laughs> your, is rubbing your off. Your terribleness has been rubbed off because <laughs> these yes. titles are just hilarious. But Portia, I apologize. Please share about that theme. Oh, yes. You know, I was, um, you know, referring to the famous gift from Pocahontas because um, we know these white men are dangerous. And mm-hmm. we see the white men being quite dangerous. When it comes to um, Emmett Till's murder, you know, exactly who he was murdered by, those white men, what they were perpetuating, how they got off on it and got paid from it. We talked about that earlier. Um, Dee's curse, literally the policeman catching her in an alley. And I, again, I don't know why she walked down an alley in the first place. Not she be safe from the police. She did it. Um, they put the curse on her by like he spit on her, said the curse words. And literally like she's being... Um, horrified by these like visuals that no one else sees that she's like she bumped into a white man at the station and uh because she saw the vision and like no one was helping her so it's literally the curse um all the things that she's going through is because of white men mm-hmm. um christina whenever she does her white feminism fail of trying to understand ruby possibly that's she that's dangerous white men but she hired the white men i don't know yeah white, she did white danger all around just yeah. like what whatever that was she was like play, it's just for me that was just like another showcasing of like even being a white woman doesn't save you from like all the crap that white men can do to you um and christina i don't know why she chose to have the violence against her uh, i'm i'm gonna have to listen to like all the podcasts because i just don't understand <laughs> it you know like it we just, gotta listen to the official podcast we gotta it, listen to the side podcast yeah because i'm like uh, y'all gotta help for once i'm like what i mean i get it but i don't get it i feel like this is like the one time i'm like hey can i find a white friend hey can you tell me <laughs> why you See, this would this appeal to you with anyone but, but I, is, it, is it like a form of self-flagellation like and, is, and there like, i will that? say that white people yeah. love that you know yes. white people love them some self-flagellation boy <laughs> Man, yes. I grew up with them white boys, and man, do they love it. They, they, you know, they can't get enough of that. I must shit. atone for my sins. Yo, they can't. And just but how in you general, bro, like that's not even the thing that you did. Okay, 
I just but but it's atoning for other white people's sins. I don't know. But and it, also, was it to test her mark of Cain? That's the other. That thing. was the only thing that initially came to me. That. She knew it worked. Yeah, she, all them times that she she that it worked in her favor. Like she knows it's it's she's good. But the thing that Gossel hit me about what happened because I knew it was a I knew it was overtly an immature thing, but it's also similar to the way that um Will di- William died. Remember, she mm. said that William was shot and then dumped into a river. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering if I was like, okay, she knows that the per- the body that she inhabits or whatever was also kind of killed in a similar way. Is this supposed to be a rebirth thing, like part of the rebirth idea as well? I'm not sure. I just. She came up cackling, you know, crying and laughing. She was laughing? I just thought she was I crying. Just like she crying. Was, I thought she was hysterical. It was that, yeah, it's that hysterical cackle laugh, you know, it's evil, you know. I didn't think she was like, okay, maybe we we saw that differently. There was a I didn't bit see of any. In there. I, didn't I personally see it. didn't see any, as you say, evil comedy type laugh. I just not saw. Not comedy. The, well, the, well, the laugh I, you do I, when I'm you cry. I'm just saying. I didn't take it as her laughing. I just talked about she was in hysterics. Like, yeah. that's yeah. what happened. That's how he died. Yeah. That's what Ruby's talking about, which, again, maybe that's just me. Wishing that she get it, but it's you know. it does no because it's still ain't the same shit. Because that ain't that's how he died. You are here, chilling. You about to go back to the big house. You know yeah. that's the thing. It's not the same thing. So I don't. Yeah. It just does not make sense. But also, but Christina from, don't make sense. But also, it's like, is it literally supposed to be just like white women's tears? Like you feel like you have the same struggle in some mm, ways, but yep. it still doesn't affect you in the same way. So this is yep. just literal white women tears right here. That I don't heart. know. I just don't. I, I think you hit it on the head right there. I'm I'm a host on this podcast, and y'all are blowing my mind. Yeah, I'm, I think you hit it on the head, though, that part. White women's tears. Oh, my gosh. Finally, in themes, we have our super favorite, vampirism and blood. Vampire. <laughs> ben, vampire. You got to do the thing that you do, Ben. Vampire. There you go. <laughs> Talk about the vampirism. Uh, you know, we have blood, blood, and more blood. As Portia says, when the popo showed at the showed up at the abode, though, they ran into the blogoth, the blogoth, who I really hate that. I love it. Who serves up the? I mean, because concrete showed off. That's whack. No blogoth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Blogoth shows up and delivers the L. It was beautiful. Oh my God! I was cheering through the whole scene once again. It, it was beautiful. Misha put her foot in Talk it with the direction right. and the action and the long shots of like. Atticus running across to get to Letty and then the car flying and then them running behind the car and the policeman's head coming through the window. I mean, just beautiful gore. I loved it. It was just great. Um, You had Diana being shredded up by the Topsy twins and her whole skin, arm, neck turning black. Like, it was terrible. Like, that was a goddamn cliffhanger for a cliffhanger, folks. Also, when Letty and Atticus were were in that <laughs> the blogoth fight. Mm-hmm. They at one of the cops explodes or whatever in front of them, and they get covered in the blood all over again. Like just, and it was just like when they were being chased by the the white shogoths in what episode two. <laughs> and once again, I was rolling in laughter. And like they were covered in the blood and just yeah. just uh, and tra- traumatized all over again, just mm-hmm. again and again, blood, blood, blood. And then we have the mark of Cain, which uh, Letty receives in this episode. You also see showing up on Christina's chest. We saw before on William's chest. And in this uh, series, they seem to represent it as the horns of a bull. But the mark of Cain, ram, whatever, was uh, passed down to Cain from God when he killed Abel. 
And it was basically a curse of immortality and that everyone would know his crime. And so wherever he went, people would be like, oh, that's the dude who killed his brother. He's the worst. You know, ostracize him. And so Cain lived for an extremely long time. And through that, a lot of people have taken the idea that Cain birthed most of the evil in the world. So even ideas like vampires are all supposed to be the sons of Cain. And so it's all these ideas. And we see it with the mark of Cain and with the blood and the cursed earth and all that. And something else we were talking about off of the show. Once again, this is how white people twist and how whiteness, toxic whiteness twists everything because it's been used, the Bible has been used to say that the mark of Cain is what black people have. And that's why we're cursed. In the same way that Ham, the son of Noah, represents the, is supposed to represent the black race. Like all of his children are the black race because Ham was the curse of Noah's three sons. Fuck whiteness and fuck that bullshit. You know that. It's once again. It's I really like, thought you was gonna say fuck Cain. <laughs> no, it's more like that whole you know idea. It's like whatever that you know. Once again, I think we said this before. It's like our current president. Like whatever they say you are is what they're saying they are. You know mm. they know we blessed and so they say that no y'all the cursed ones. Come on, fam. Yeah. Uh, rounding out the vampirism when Atticus meets, meets up with Christina she is chilling like a villain in a tomb like a vampire with that mausoleum. maroon blood red dress on too yeah uh, mm-hmm. when, in the basement where Letty develops her photos uh, she's always all red co- color because I'm that, I mean that's just I th- that's I don't know what the science behind that is but I know that that's, that's typically yeah. dark the dark room, room color yeah yep. uh, Blood is used for incantations when when they do the protection spell on Atticus. When Machos does the protection spell on Atticus, Atticus uses his blood. As you mentioned, Christina in blood red and she's in the tomb. And then blood on the hands and the red nails of the topsy-bopsy, uh, along with the, the minstrelly of their, their faces and hair. It's just very mm-hmm. vampire. Vampire. <laughs> rounding out this review of this episode we have our inspirations our easter eggs or inspirations lots of american culture and history black culture black history is american history you have diana wearing very prominently a chicago americans giants baseball cap which is a legal negro league team mm-hmm. um portia you had a theory on what that signified about the fact of why she's wearing that hat Oh, yeah. I was like, what did I say earlier? Yes. So um, for me, like, again, going back into like where Montrose kind of won me over a little bit in this episode was relating to others by talking about his childhood. Um, And it reminded me of um, earlier episode, probably episode one or two, where Montrose is talking to, where Montrose is talking about how his father beat him for drawing um, the Negro baseball players that would come off the Mm -hmm. bus. Um, And so it's kind of like, while Montrose is relating to D through the bathroom door, D inadvertently relates to Montrose by putting on this Negro League baseball cap. Mm. And also try, trying to cover up that spit mark left by the demon yeah. policeman. Yeah. She was yeah. trying really hard to scrub it off. And it yeah. just like, she just, she felt it in her skin. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like anytime someone spits on you, like there's, Ugh. it just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't seem like anything you feel like you can just wash off. Yeah. Like, no. No, no, no. No. The topsy again character from uncle tom's cabin which is actual an actual book in american literature and and, and it relays references of like sambo and Piccaninny and gollywogs and things like that mm-hmm. can i just um, say one yeah. thing about uncle? so uncle tom's cabin is taught in history books as a big thing that turned around the idea of abolition 
for the U.S. And I, it made me feel like when I was younger, oh, let me go read this book so I can understand how in the world it inspired like abolition. And I feel like it's BS. I feel like there's no way that book. Yeah. Like, I feel like they're they miscredited the work that black abolitionists did and mm-hmm. then put it on this white woman who wrote this book because yep. there's no way that book at all could have an influence on abolitionism. Mm. Yeah, I fully agree. In book seems pretty fucking racist to me. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't even well written. Like, it's just dribble. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. yeah. Once again, white people writing and black people, you know, it's like, it's easy to be the best when you're the only ones on the court. Look at yeah. the 1950s NBA. Yeah. Oof. Uh, <laughs> Lovecraft Country, the show keeps reminding you of the importance of black women, particularly when it comes to civil rights, when it comes to changing history. Mm. And and as Ben, I mean, had his beautiful TED talk about us being the, the, the beating, the, the beating heart of the universe, the center of the universe. Uh, there is a scene where the, I think it's the cops, they are opening up a newspaper. Uh, it says September 3rd, 1955. It's a Chicago Defender newspaper. And Letty is on the front page. Beautiful picture with a headline, Colored Woman Crosses the Housing Line. And it's a story, if you remember before, she was being interviewed by a newspaper journalist. And this is the result of that, of of her foray into the the white side of Chicago and buying a house and all this stuff. And and the idea of that that Letitia Lewis changes the lines of history, and I I thought even Diana in this episode, she was so bold and so brave. The way mm-hmm. she stomped into the officers or the captain's office and demanded to know what happens about the like she demanded all the information about her curse. She she, she was uh, like everything that. That's the opposite of what, as if you're a young black kid, that your parents tell you how to talk to the cops or how to even deal with them. She did. And and, and really, it's kind of cathartic because she did a lot of shit that a lot of us wants to do. Mm-hmm. Like we told how the cops spin her to do the thing. She spat back at the cop. She 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 said, fuck you, pig. And all I could think of was like, yo, the gall of this girl. Like just I, I mean, it, it, it was honestly, it was just something like I sometimes I wish I could do shit like that. And it was, and it reminded me of her mother. Because remember, her mother was like, she said, well, sometimes I want to just kill white people. And then she expanded it to mean, you know, just, just her whole experience. But the fact that she is just, she's, she's an apple that falls from the tree. You know what I'm saying? Like, she, she, is, she, she realizes and knows what she wants and goes for it. Mm-hmm. Like, the spell itself reminds me of, like, the whole, like, Bible verse, like, children should be seen, not heard. And that's basically what he did to yeah. her. He took away her voice. And yeah. Um, I love that she got to like put it back on him. She's like, my mom's name is Greek. Thank you very much. Like it was just like a payback for what the police officer said earlier about like these Af- these black people and their African names or whatever because they couldn't oh um, pronounce Hippolyta's <laughs> name. It was Typical. like I love that she Typical. went back and was like all the things that she heard that she didn't have words for at the because you know that happens sometimes where you don't somebody pisses you off and you don't have words at the time. But yes. later on, you're like, oh, I got the right yeah. words right now. Let me see them, you know? I love that yeah. for her. I love that she got to do that. Yeah. We spoke about how the Mark of Cain, uh, from a fantasy standpoint, is is can, is also used to express vampirism, vampires. The Mark of Cain has also, in, in historic context, been used as a tool to oppress Black people, both in America and in Europe. Um, the, the Curse of Cain was used to support a ban on ordaining Blacks in most Protestant Protestant clergies 
until the 1960s. And Southern Baptist groups also used the curse of Cain as a justification for slavery. Yeah. I grew up hearing that. Like, honestly. That's I wild. Up, yeah. I grew up hearing, like, the idea that Ham, that we were the sons and daughters of Ham or that we were the sons and daughters of Cain. Right. Yeah. Now, for this, this tool that historically has been used to oppress people to be something that protects Letty, so a white woman giving a black woman something that actually protects her, which I still don't 100% trust. Because there's got to be, I mean, there's, there's got to be a, a, a there's got to be a counterbalance, right? Like, what do you give up by getting that type of invulnerability? Mm-hmm. You know, this someone gonna, and it's on her boom, basically her stomach, her torso. So I'm like, is that gonna affect the child? Who knows? Um, but also, but, like, yeah. Christina says to her, like, she's Christina didn't have to explain this, but she said, my father made the spell, and I realized it had healing properties, and I feel like that's a hint to. Possibly the same spell being used to heal somebody later. Possibly Atticus. It's also the spell. It's I thought it was a hint to the fact that that's what brought Letty back from the dead in the first place. And she's saying, I saved you before. Like, mm. my dad didn't even realize that this could be used to bring people back from the dead. And that's what, you know, saved you in the first place. That's but then it's also weird true. because why does she give it to her again? Unless it's like a one-time use thing. I don't think I feel it seems like because I feel like because Christina has it on her skin, I feel like I'm also probably pulling from the book where there is an invulnerability mm-hmm. thing and it lasts for a long time. It's not yep. like it's like just a one off. So I'm wondering, I feel like there must the resurrection spell is a little bit different from this particular one because mm-hmm. she yeah. Letty didn't walk away with the scar from that. She just like woke up and she was back the same. Yeah. 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 And uh, another actually powerful scene when when the cops were shooting up the house and that's when we realize Letty's mark is literally protecting her because she, at one point, she sits up. And again, I was so screaming, sick. get down, get down. I was screaming, yeah. don't get, you know. And of course, Ruby was screaming the same. She gets up and you see the bullets just ricocheting off of her. And Journey's expression and her like sadness and also just exhaustion in that scene, it was just so good, man. She's bulletproof black woman, man. Yeah, killing it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and and the mentioning with Diana, just how her the gall that she had, and 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 really the the confidence and the bravery that she had to do what she did was interesting because right after she does that, we hear a voiceover, which is from another very brave, very beautiful young black girl. She was eleven at the time. Uh, her name is Naomi Waddler, and this voiceover that we hear is actually Naomi's speech during the March for Our Lives event on March 24th, 2018, mm-hmm. which was um, which was held following the school shooting in Parkland. And the that event was was students all over the country calling for changes to America's gun laws, which which which, as we see, keeps resulting in this epidemic of gun violence. Uh, Wadler, Naomi, she also led a walkout during the National School Walkout on March 14th. And I would definitely su- suggest everyone just Google that speech again. Young lady's name is Naomi Wadler, and, and W A D L E R. But but look up that speech and listen to it. It's absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And rounding out our episode um, again, we had to talk about the music. They we heard play during the intro, "Cruel Summer" by Banana Rama. Thanks for ruining that song for me, folks. Like one of my favorite <laughs> jams of all time. Never going to be able to hear it the same way again. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I mean, them drums. Oh, I love that song. Like, I mean, are you associated with Emmett Till now? Thanks. 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 
well, uh, we mentioned various <laughs> times, Stop That Knocking, which is from a, it's a minstrel song. And also, I Put a Spell on You, but this version is sung by Alice Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that is it for our review and analysis of the Jigga Bobo episode, episode eight of Lovecraft Country. Thank you once again for all of your support. Thank you for listening right now. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for, for your feedback. We, we needed all, all the comments, uh, critiques, everything. We appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, who's been supporting us uh, financially on our Tee Public store. We see people buying the T-shirts. As you see, we, ha- we have our beautiful Safe Negro podcast T-shirts on. Ben I mean has the, the, the T-Snaps 100s, bold, cold. The no port. The no get ports you, as well as the, the mug as well. As well as the mug. Yeah, you can get these designs on all sorts of things. Mugs, the mug is so t-shirts. beautiful. Yeah. You see um, this? Mugs, t shirts, masks, notebooks, pillows. We also put up a, a, a new incredible design. Thank you, Bounce Comics, for this design of Now We the Warrior saying, Get the fuck up. Thank you. You know how much we love that episode, how much we love that scene. And that. Uh, a beautiful design made by Bounce Comics has gotten it's up on our T Public page right now. You again, mm-hmm. you can get that in all sorts of type of different merch. But thank you for your support. Your support actually helps keeps this podcast going, and also all everything that For All Nerds does. This is powered by For All Nerds. Make sure you're following us at For All Nerds at Safe Negro Pod. Um, make sure you're following me at Tatiana King. Also Ben Amin. Follow me at DJ Ben Amin. And uh, follow me at, at Porsche. Excellent. And again, make sure you follow us, subscribe to For All Nerds in order to listen to us on your favorite podcast platform and get out and vote. Word up. And make sure to follow us on twitch.tv slash For All Nerds so you can see all of our beautiful faces live and in color. Color.